Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a Monday edition of Flyers Daily as we tick down the days to the NHL regular season, to training camp, to rookie camp. Please get hockey back soon. And this heat, and let's get back to the game. But anyway, it is Monday, so you know who joins us on Monday. You read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill, are you starting to get the itch a little bit? We're not at August yet. That's when I really start like breaking out in hives and got the uh, the itching stick. I look like a cat like rubbing myself against door jams to scratch the itch. Where are you right now on, on missing the game? Well, I'm at the point where I'm looking for the beauty league results and highlights. So it's uh, I can't wait for the season. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, the beauty league results is is James playing that this summer? James Van Riemsdyk? He plays in every year. Yeah, yeah and, he's and, a beauty uh, league regular. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know there was a Noah Cades did something he doesn't do in, in NHL games, but a pretty between the legs kind of goal, you know. <laughs> Um, and, you know, you, I mean, it's summer hockey, but it's, uh, it, it's hockey at least. Yeah. They, it's, it's pseudo beer hockey, but yeah, they actually have yeah. people in the stands when you're playing beer hockey at 10, 15 puck drop, there may be one girlfriend in the stands. And if the girlfriend is in the stands, the player who brought the girlfriend's getting ripped pretty good for bringing his girlfriend to a beer league game. But anyway, um, you know, today, 24 years ago is one of those days we wish would have never happened. It was today being Sunday when we're taping Monday. 24 years ago yesterday, uh, but the passing of Dmitry Tretizny. And we saw his son in development camp this year. Can you take us back to 1999 and what you remember when it initially happened? Uh, You know, I've always said the Flyers lost three prospects on that day. Um, You know, and and, and Dmitry had had really a promising rookie year um, uh, under Roger Nielsen. And I look like he was... He was going to be a mainstay for a lot of years to come. Maybe not a first pair guy, but a, but a guy who could play eighteen, even build up to about twenty minutes and move the puck really well. Um, you know, and, and uh, just a great attitude, super, just a really positive kind of kid. And he seemed to have a really bright future. And it was just they were attending a summer hockey camp in in Cologne, I believe it was. Uh, it was um, it was Dimitri. It was Mikhail Chernov and it was Francis Belanger. And, um, you know, and, and Chernov and, and Belanger had shown, shown some promise too um, the, with the Phantoms the previous year. And, you know, you hear the just the horrific news. I mean, Dimitri was still on the boat when he died. He, he was cut by the propeller. He fell off the boat. Hit, the boat hit, you know. As this can happen, he got thrown from the boat, and, and uh, I don't know whether he was trying to swim back to it or, or what the case was, but the the propeller sliced him, and he bled to death before they before they could get help. Um, and you know, you you watch, especially especially for Chernov, you know, the, a fellow Russian. Um, I mean, you know, it, it just you go through something like that, and you watch watch a friend die in that, that horrible manner. I mean, again, I mean, Belanger had a lot of personal problems after that, too. It's just coping with that kind of thing can be just just brutal. He did eventually make the NHL briefly, I believe, with Montreal. But I really, again, I really felt like the Flyers lost three guys that day. And then the worst part of it all was that uh, Dima's wife, Paulina, was pregnant at the time. With, with you, mentioned, you mentioned Alex. You know, his, his mom was pregnant with him at, at the time that, uh, that his dad died. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
you know, Paulina made a whole new life for herself. She she stayed in Philadelphia. So Alex is American, was born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, super good kid. And wish him all the best in, in college hockey this season. But it, it was just it was just one of those one of those horrible moments where, you know, a career was stuffed up, but but a life was too. And that was just uh that that's just I mean I, I remember when I when I first heard the news and it was just it was devastating. It was awful. Yeah, it's gut wrenching. And, and you think about that, yeah, the Flyers lost a player, but you know, Alex lost a dad before he yeah. was even here. And that's 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 sobering in a lot of ways. So uh, one of those anniversaries that you need to remember um, because of the volatility of life. Uh, but Bill, you know, it's interesting this off season because we've talked about a lot of different angles and obviously Meechkoff has been a shot of adrenaline in the arms of a lot of people, even though that eventually that adrenaline will wear off and until he actually does come over. Um, but I get this interesting email from uh, one of our listeners to the podcast. His name's Frank. And I think there's a couple of things. First and foremost, Frank is a day one flyer faithful, as he says. He's not bad for a he's a second time email. He said not bad for a 70 ish flyers faithful from day one in 1967. And he said, I really enjoy your podcast. Flyers really stick to hockey, the commentary of your usuals, you know, Anthony DeMarco, uh, Anthony Sanfilippo, and of course yourself as well. And he said all great insights and are very knowledgeable. And he says, I, first of all, I think it's really cool that Frank is 70 years old, 70-ish, as he said, and he listens to podcasts. That tells you the power of this medium, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it does. I, I love hearing stuff like that, you know, yeah. it's good stuff. He said, uh, he also says, uh, as someone who has followed the Flyers since 67, but has never played the game, he said, I consider myself a fairly, fairly hockey literate. Said, I'm certainly no expert, especially when it comes to analytics, though I can appreciate their value, but I know enough to be dangerous. He said, my com comments and questions to you and Billy, in quotes, are this. And this is an interesting to debate, thing to debate. He said, well, I certainly understand the Flyers are relatively earlier in the rebuild and still have many unknowns about ultimately who else goes and who ultimately stays and who does, who does and does not make progress this season. He said, I just don't see the Flyers as being worse than they were last year. He said, I hear on so many Flyers podcasts, yours, Snow the Goalie, Orange B podcast, to name a few, uh, playoff team next season, long shot of long shots, especially coming out of the Metro. Um, but he said, but please hear me out. I think the Flyers are already a much better team than last year based on moves to date. And he's, the first one he brings up is Provorov. And this is where I want to start with you. He said, Provorov move is significant, significant addition by subtraction. He said, yeah, he put in a lot of minutes, but basically they were bad minutes filled with costly turnovers in all zones. His puck management was dreadful, and he really wasn't that effective getting the puck out of his own zone. To the naked eye, it was more turnovers than not, and this does not address Provorov's attitude, locker room, and not just wanting to play here issues, all which matter. So he said, in my opinion, I think York will be much better without Provorov next year. And while I love Frank's email, I totally disagree with him. I, I thought that Provorov, yeah, there, his game wasn't perfect. I think sometimes he took too much on Bill. But I did not think that he. I don't think he's addition by subtraction. No, nor do nor do I. Um, you know, Provorov had an interesting year last year when the Flyers got off a pretty good start in October. Actually, it was great. <laughs> it was defense. Defensively, he was playing some of the best hockey I ever saw him play. Yeah. Um, and for for a little while, that that pair with D'Angelo seemed to be working to a degree. Uh, Ivan wasn't putting up any points. And, and probably was off the power play, but I thought 
defensively, he was off to a tremendous start. You know, and when the bottom kind of dropped out on the team in November, uh, Provorov had a really rough stretch then. Um, you remember the Flyers ended up getting to the, the All-Star break at Hockey 500, which, yeah. which was, considering what the expectations were coming in, was overachieving a little bit. And no Couturier um, and Atkinson at all. Without any Couturier or Atkinson. And then the bottom dropped out again in February. February was another brutal month. And Provorov struggled that month, as did the entire team. Flyers just could not buy a goal. They couldn't keep the puck out of there. I mean, February was just, just awful. Uh, and that's really where the season got away. And then the rest of the season, the Flyers were okay again. Um, you know, and, and, and Provorov played relatively decently, too. Uh, maybe not as well as he did at the start of the season. But, you know, you could say you could plug somebody in to play those minutes. Part, part of the problem part of the problem in replacing him is that, um, well, you, you know, maybe, maybe he had uh, – I don't know. I mean, guys who handle the puck a lot are going to turn more pucks over. So he, uh, he, he did sometimes try to do too much, and when he tried to do too much, he would turn pucks over and, you know, get beaten at times and go through some – some kind of inconsistent stretches and, and some of the downtimes were rough. But hey, you know, who are you going to send out there when uh, on, on on D when when McDavid's on the other side, or you know, or you're you know, or even if you're playing the Penguins and Crosby these days, even though you know the Penguins have their own issues, or, or when Ovechkin's on, yeah, yeah, Foster. I mean, all, all those guys, right? Uh, it, it was always Provorov out there, and. I don't. I don't know that I. I don't know that that York is ready for that. I don't know that that Sandheim is capable of that, and that that's a huge loss. Uh, I, I understand the big picture. I, I think Frank is is right about the the locker room side of it, and and, and right that uh, I think Ivan himself wanted to move on, and, and maybe some in the room are, are not sorry that he's gone, and that is definitely a factor here. But I'm very my number one concern right now. I kind of like the forward group the Flyers have, especially if, especially if you know Couturier and Atkinson come back relatively healthy. But I worry, I still worry a lot about the blue line, and I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how they're going to immediately replace replace that. So I, I think it's hard to say the Flyers are are better off than they were a year ago. Maybe maybe big picture, maybe some young guys stepped up, and and you're looking to. You know, need them need those guys to take the next step and whatnot. But no, I I I think that a big part of this ongoing rebuild is rebuilding the blue line. That's that's the next big project, and that's a tough step because what as you're drafting, I mean, I, you know, I I started writing a piece. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into it now. We'll we'll do that maybe a, a week from now. But if you go back to where between 2012 and, and uh, 2019, Flyers had a, a lot of promising defensemen in the system at that point in time. And they used a lot of draft picks on defensemen. And most of them made the NHL in, in, to varying extents. But uh, of, the, of that group that came in then, Sandheim's basically the only one that's left. Um, you know, I mean, Yinning is in the system. You know, a, a guy like that, uh, Zamula came in as an, an undrafted free agent. But mm-hmm. so, so many guys who were had some big expectations, like Phil Myers, kind of fell by the wayside. And, and uh, 
You know, Moran had the injury issues. As a probably was a first round pick. You just just go right down the line. Yeah, Robert Hager had high expectations when he was first drafted, and yeah. and you know Hager became a a good role playing defenseman, a third pairing type of guy, but but not not an anchor kind of a guy. And um, you know, uh, from from all that that big volume of prospects, guys like Ghost, and just just keep going. You know, there's there's not much left of that. Not much to show for all those picks even though guys made the NHL and there's, there's no guarantees, you know, it's hard to develop defensemen because the, the learning curve is longer. Um, you know, if you look, if you look based on statistical probabilities, wingers are the easiest to develop and centers defensemen and goalies take the longest, but developing defensemen are, is critical moving forward in, in this rebuild. There are some promising young defensemen in the system. The Emil Andres, hopefully Zamula clicks this season and, and makes it. Hopefully in a couple of years, um, uh, Oliver Bonk, he, he could be in the NHL in a few years, some, something like that. But are, are those really going to be the, the first pairing type of guys? They don't seem they don't seem to be at quite that level. And I think ultimately for the Flyers rebuild to succeed in the big picture, and, and I think Danny and, and Jonesy would say this too. They're going to have to find, whether it's via the draft and development, whether it's by trades, free agency at some point, they're going to have, they're going to, have to get uh, another guy who's going to be able to have the durability for overall, play every game, you know, and, and be, able to, be able to play 25 minutes a night for you regularly. Be and that's uh, Yeah. yeah and tall order. It's hard to fill. Yeah, I mean, you look at – we brought it up in a prior podcast a couple of weeks ago when you look at the teams that have won the Cup, I think, since 2006 or whatever. Uh, in Every one of those teams had a Chris Letang or had, you know, a, a, a Drew Doughty, a Duncan Keith, a Victor Hedman, um, a Petrangelo in St. Louis. All those teams had a bona fide stud on the blue line. They don't have that right now here or seemingly in the system. And, and I think the thing that we bring up when we talk about Prorov, too, is the the effect it'll have on a guy like Cam York. Um, you know, having a guy for somebody that plays the game the way York does, he needs to have a guy with him that he knows is going to be there behind him, right? To activate and to, you know, push the puck up the ice and those things. I think Sandheim has to have that as well to a, a different degree. But I look at those guys and I go, what's the effect of not having the horse going to be on partners or on the decor as a whole and the role they play? Because I think you and I have talked about it. The minutes are going to have to be parsed over many people because nobody can handle the sheer volume of 26 plus a night. For sure. And and it also and it becomes it really becomes a committee kind of thing, you know, when um Today, today is recruited is also the anniversary of the the trade to bring Ristolainen in from Buffalo two years ago, mm-hmm. and the bigger purpose of bringing uh, bringing uh, Rasmus in at that point in time was you figure, you know, you figure Ryan Ellis is going to be exotic of the blue line with Provorov and, and Sandheim's your three, and as a number four, I, I love I love Ristolainen as a number four. I love him as a two. No, I don't. So, you know, or, or, or even a three. I, I think four is the right place to slot him. And, and so without Pro Rob, it, ju- it ju- just goes right down the line where everybody's expectations and, and, and what you need from each player increases that much more. So it's uh, 
we'll we'll see how all that plays out in camp and during the season. But for me, that that's a main question mark on this roster at this point in the summer. Yeah, I agree. With you. I think the thing that's interesting is. You know, I always talk about players doing their job and, and their job alone. Don't try and do other people's jobs. And you got two guys not doing their job. The thing is, is, you know, you also have to put a player in a, in the job that he, he can handle and he can succeed in. You don't want to put him in one that he can't succeed in. And we do get a rarity a little bit last year because maybe going into that season, we wouldn't have thought Noah Cates, for example, was a guy that could be thrust into the position that he was thrust into at center for the first time in the NHL playing more hockey than he ever played and could succeed. He's probably an outlier in that regard, but let's look at the forward group. I, I feel like we, I'm not only go through line combinations, but you know, if Couturier and Atkinson are healthy, we'll see what their level of play is, but to play along with this, your four centers are, are pretty cut and dry. And then, I mean, maybe that changes with injuries and once the collegiate season ends and Cutter Gauthier comes and you still have the availability of a guy like Scott Lawton, you can move into the middle or keep on the wing. Um, but I feel like the 12 forwards are are pretty identified here, kind of going from the fourth line up. I mean, your wingers there are going to be Hathaway and Nick Delarier. Yep. Then your your third line presumably is probably guys, Lawton is probably a third line winger. Is, is that kind of where you're leaning? Well, yeah, uh, you figure Couturier, Frost, and Cates, yeah, and then and and your fourth line. You, I mean, you just signed Poling, so I, yep. I think I think you put Scotty on the wing, yeah. So then, then your third line is maybe a Wade Allison and Scott Lawton on the wing. Then your second line wingers are uh, maybe an Atkinson, and uh, I mean, I don't know who else you can want to put in there with him, but I'm not talking about combinations. But your top six is going to be some combination of Atkinson, Tippett, uh, Konechny. And I'm missing one. Who am I missing? Oh, Joel Farabee. Yeah, no, for for sure. I, 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 the only the only X factor in all this is Tyson Forster. Yep. Um, you know, and uh, I mean he he could presumably, if everyone's healthy, and it's not often everyone's healthy, but he presumably could could put pressure on on Allison to stay in the lineup. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I mean, competition's always a good thing, but I but I think you're look, looking at a group. That, that, as you said, is pretty cut and dry. Um, you know, uh, I, I think a guy like uh, Denye or or Brink, they have a little bit of an uphill battle in camp, and and Lazinski definitely has an uphill battle in camp. I agree. And, and the thing is, too, is you know, you look at that, you go, okay, do you start a guy like Atkinson on the third line, give you a little scoring punch on the third line with Lawton and 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 your third line center, whoever you're going to deem that is, and then you know, up front, you, you've got you know, Tippett, Knackney, and you, you like the forward group seems to me pretty settled. And if Forster is one of those guys, then I think he's a top six forward. I think yeah. he's one of the of the top two lines, and then maybe a Farabee or you know an Atkinson goes to that third line. Is to me kind of the way it would play out. I would think so. Yeah, I I, I think so. I think that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's we're, we're getting all these answers to camp, and we're in the middle of summer, and we're just trying to figure out where this is all going, you know? I, But again, that blue line to me is a big question. Let me ask you about Zamula because you brought him up. He is not waiver exempt, Bill. And we've right. got ourselves an issue coming into camp. Zamula's shown some signs, but he's, he's had to put on weight. He, you know, he had the injury. He had the illness. He lost weight. Um, and he just hasn't broken all the way through. He got an opportunity last year. Then he seemed a bit overwhelmed at one point, and they sent him back down. He came back up. He looked a little bit better. But you have this problem. I think the biggest thing for him is Emil Andre. 
And the thing with Emil Andre is, I mean, he looks just so close. And you have the the element of him having maybe to go back to Sweden. There's there a loan agreement in place. Um, I mean, could you see Zamula guy having to pass through waivers? And would he pass through waivers? Sometimes you have to time those things, you know? Um, Strategically. Yeah, strategically. Just because you get to a point where people are figuring out their own numbers games, and that's the time you can probably maybe sink the guy through because they they have people they're still looking at, and and unless he makes their team, they're going to have to to pass their waivers for them also. So so you you have to figure that out. Um, I... I'm not a believer in keeping a guy on a team just because of waivers. If he earns a spot, he earns a spot. Um, and you know, this isn't this isn't Igor's first kick of the can either. He's had he's had a couple chances. He's also had injury issues too, as you just as you just brought up. Um, but it's really kind of now or never time for him. And he is coming off of he's coming off of a surgery, and I apparently should be ready for the start of camp. But this is this is really time for Igor to shine because if it's not, it's going to be either for the Phantoms or somebody else's organization. I, I yeah. think there's a shot at getting him through waivers, though. Yeah, again, but you're going to have to be strategic in when you do yeah. it. That's and, right. I mean, to me, the, the big X factor when it comes to him is going to – I mean, there's other guys that you can put through waivers that won't get claimed, you know, like, like Walker, or there's other guys. Um, but, you, I mean, they're not put stall through waivers. We know that. But there's there's certain guys that you can try and put through it. And if Andre comes in and look development camp, he looked great. And he did look great. And uh, you know, talking to Ian LaPerriere, the coach of the Phantoms, he loved him last year. We'll see if he's ready or not. He's gonna have to earn it. But he's the type of player that I think could really peel back a guy like Torts's eyes and Brad Shaw in training camp and and you know, through rookie camp and training camp and in the preseason games. Yeah, imagine I don't know how many preseason games there are, six, maybe seven. Uh, he's going to see probably at least five of them. <laughs> oh, I would think so. I would think so. Very hockey smart player, yeah. Andre. Um, the defensive side of the puck, uh, you know, coming and coming playing on this rank and against the skill level in the NHL, that to me is really the big question mark at this point. Um, he can definitely move the puck. Uh, he he makes he makes really really good passes, and he can play on a power. I think he can play in an NHL power play right now. As a matter I agree. Of fact. Maybe, maybe PP two to start, and then you then work his way up. But those are the things I have no question mark about. Just just can he handle the the defensive assignments? And I, I'm even confident over time that, that he'll be able to do that too. Can he jump right over and do it? That that that's gonna be tough though. I mean, was that something that Chemo in his early years struggled with? Was that the defensive element? Because they're they're similar in stature and build, yeah. and in some ways their game as well. I think Andre's a little bit of a, a better passer. And maybe the way he sees the ice than a guy like Kimo was, but Kimo was such a stout defender of the blue line. Yeah. And we've talked about Andre's low center of gravity. Let's talk about Kimo's low center of gravity. Uh, he was a bear to knock off the puck because of that lower body strength and that low center of gravity. Is that an apt comparison? It may not be fair right now because all that Kimo was as a player. I know we always want to go, you know, who's the, who's the guy that, you know, remind he reminds you of the most, and we come up with some guy who's a great NHL player, and it's like, okay, that's maybe a little unfair to do, but yeah. there are a lot of similarities there, and just the way they look on the ice, their efficiency, and the way they move, and everything. I, I think there are some similarities. I do, um, and I, I don't think it's an entirely unfair comparison. 
Um, Kimo was a little older when he came over. Now, Kimo was a late-round draft pick. It was actually L.A., I think, originally drafted him. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time he came over with Nashville, you know, he was in his mid-20s by that point. So he had a lot of international experience. And, and Andre, actually, for his age, has his fair share, too. But, uh, you know, I, I think I think Kimo was ahead defensively. But I agree that, that Emil is probably a little bit ahead offensively, his passing game and that kind of that kind of thing. But uh, just as a just as a general rule of thumb, you know, comparison, I, I can see that, and I don't think I don't think his lack of size, lack of height, is going to be an issue in the long term. I think I think he's going to be one of those those smaller defensemen, height wise. They'll be just fine and able to handle that. Um, as you said, Kima was just so deceptively strong with the low center of gravity, and yeah. and Emil has some of that too. And actually, one of the things that um, is interesting with Emil was. When the Flyers first drafted him, you know, he spent the lack of height. I think he, I think he was drafted about 185 pounds, and he actually had to lose some before he put put back. He he trimmed body fat and then added the added that weight back in his muscle. So he's he's a strong kid. Yeah, that's impressive. The crazy thing about team, he doesn't get to the NHL until he's 23, by the way, yeah. and he doesn't get to Philadelphia until he's 32. <laughs> think, you know, oh, we're in a rebuild. We got to get all these young guys. Well, when the Flyers got chemo, he was 32 years of age. And yeah. when he retired, he was 39. So on the blue line, you can maybe go a little more of a guy with a little vintage to bring in and, you know, supplant your blue line in some ways to bolster it, right? Oh, oh, for sure. And then as part of, you know, that's the flip side of it taking longer to develop defensemen. They yep. tend to decline a little bit later too, though. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And especially those guys that know how to manage their energy and, and the way they – to play the game like Dowdy, I think is going to play forever. Pronger would have played forever, but he had the the eye injury, so um, those things took him out. Uh, great stuff, Bill. We're going to crank it up again next week. We'll talk about that piece that you are in process of writing. And if you want to check out any of Phil's or Bill's uh, completed pieces, you just go to PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. You head to NHL.com or you head to HockeyBuzz.com. You get all that right there. We'll be back Wednesday. We'll continue our development camp interview series on Wednesday. So join us then on a brand new Flyers. Day.